Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook. I am your host, James K., and right now you're listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. If you are listening to this on the radio and not its podcast version, do not worry. Like I just said, there is a podcast version of this show. You can always find it on Apple Podcast or Podbean simply by typing in the Skyhook Podcast. And if you ever want to contact me or anyone involved with the show, you can always do so at theskyhookmailbag at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on Twitter, and my handle is James underscore M underscore K-A-Y. Folks, I have to let you know now, this was a rough week on the tech side of things. My guest and I had inconsistent service throughout our phone conversation, so... There are times where he breaks up during it, so be un- be mindful of that. And if the sound sounds different in my voice, it is because I had to move my equipment to another location halfway through. Gotta love technology and all the inconveniences that come with it. But anyways, happy 4th of July, and Mike, cue the intro music. So right now, I have on the line Eric Nemchak, who appeared on the second episode of this show. And Eric, so much has happened since the last time we talked. Um, I mean, there's just been so many moving parts in the W, and I mean, I guess we should just get into it. I mean, I'm just going to state the obvious here when I say it, but this was a rough week for the Sky, and they dropped four in a row dating back to last week after a huge statement went against the Sun. They were flirting with being talked about as one of the best teams in the league. And I even said in last week's show that we should view them as kind of a vulnerable contender. And since then something went wrong here and let's just get into it in your mind. What went wrong with this team this past week? And do you think this team has kind of peaked since that early stretch where they were kind of killing it? Well, um, am I allowed to say like they didn't score as many points as the other team? Is that, is that good enough? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, totally fair. <laughs> I could... It's true. It's not wrong. Uh, it, you, you, you win 100% of the games, you, you score more points than the other team. But uh, anyway, you know, <laughs> I think on this recent uh, losing skid, um, it, 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 it depends. You know, you, you play teams like Washington. Uh, I'm not sure how many people really expected to win that game. They've, been a, they've just been a buzzsaw this season. Uh, and the Sky, were, they were hanging on in that one. Um, they were hanging around in Seattle. I think we could probably, we, we could both agree that maybe this guy should have won that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a rough finish there. And then Vegas and, and Los Angeles. But, you know, by that time, it's a long road trip. Uh, the West Coast road trips are always uh, tough for where it goes on them. So I think it's a mixture of, you know, either failing to close games either in Seattle or just playing teams, you know, that are better. You know, I mean, like, that's the, the reality of that this guy aren't really an elite team yet. Um, and as, as you said, vulnerable contender, uh, for as, as likely as they are to, you know, pull games out like the Connecticut at home there, they can put up real stinkers like they did in LA the other day. So it's a work in progress. I, I don't think they've peaked yet. Uh, I think that that would be unfair to say, especially considering we were talking about before the show, uh, how many injuries they have. Uh, that's, that's 
really an excuse. Everyone's got injuries, but you look at the depth of this team, and there are some things that they're doing that injuries are kind of forcing their hand. I think if they had the full depth of their bench, and this is happening, then you could say maybe, okay, we've got a problem here. But as of now, I think it's it's too early to tell, and there's too many parts. I agree with you, and I actually don't think last week was as bad as it looked, despite the dent it put in the standings. Like, if we look back at that Storm game, like I think I agree. I think they could, like they should have pulled that game out, and I mean they were only one three away from going to overtime against Seattle. And we have to mention that lucky Alicia Clark shot, like on the second to last possession of the game. I mean, she was just trying to hit the rim so the storm could get an offensive rebound so that, I mean, they were up 77, 76 with like 14 seconds left. And somehow that shot went in and that changed everything for the sky going into that last possession. And I mean, honestly, you could also look at diamond to shields. I mean, she had that solid look from three on the last play as well. So that to me, it wasn't a horrible loss and I'm not going to defend that sparks game. Cause that was just a classic sky game, but they, you know, but the way they held their own against the aces who arguably have the, I mean, no, it's not even arguably, it's just fact that they have the best high low game in the league with Asia and Liz. And, yeah. you know, not only do they have that great high low game, but they have that electrifying backcourt and Kayla McBride and plum. So, I don't know what else the sky really could have done in those games besides, like you said at the top of this, just score more points. I mean, also that's my favorite, you know, in terms of analyzing basketball, it's my favorite thing that people point to. Um, but so right now, are you pushing the panic button or are, are you feeling like, I mean, were your expectations not as high as some other people? I mean, do you think this is just kind of where the sky are at in terms of just trying to rebuild this team kind of on the fly almost? Uh, panicking? No, absolutely not. Uh, it depends on, I mean, you just said it. What, what were my expectations? I said, you know, maybe 15, 16, 17 mm-hmm. wins heading into the season. And bear in mind, I've been a fan of the team for a while now, so I've kind of been conditioned to, uh, expect the worst. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it maybe a little pessimism there. But, you know, I mean, if, if you look at where the other standings right now, number eight, six, and seven, I mean, it, it's not great. Um, We've seen them jump up all the way to number two before this uh, long losing streak. So with the parity of the league this year and, you know, the, the lack of so many star players and other teams, uh, you know, it, I, w- I wouldn't panic, like I said before, because of, you know, they've got they've got the people coming back. You know, uh, Katie Lou should be back soon, if, depending on if you believe that three-week time frame for a, a fracture. Uh, Faulkner might be back soon, uh, which would definitely help with the, the point guard depth. And uh, Stu Endor will be coming back from Eurobasket. So those are some key pieces there. Like I said, maybe I'd be a little more worried if you had the whole team and they were still playing like this. But, I mean, two shots, maybe those games turn out differently and we aren't having this discussion, you know. So with, with, with how congested the, the, middle of the, the middle and bottom of the league is this year, I don't think you can really draw any conclusions or say panic just about yet. Uh, maybe give it a few more weeks, and then if this guy is still in this position, then say, okay, we got a problem here. But uh, honestly, if you look at whoever's who's surrounding this guy in the standings right now, I don't see any reason to believe this isn't still like a, a six to eight seed team. So how much do you think having those players back, in, like you just referred to a stew, Katie Lou, I mean, Jameer Faulkner too could be coming back at some point. Um, I mean, do you think those players are going to make a big difference in terms of how this team is going to be able to operate moving forward and like affect and like operate effectively, especially like, do you think that uh, 
Like how like how much does that really impact this team, you think? Absolutely, because well, you can get a thing with this way, James. Like uh take Jamira Faulkner, for example. It isn't just a matter of not having Jamira on the court. It's a matter of needing to cover for her absence. So we've seen Gabby Williams play backup point guard, uh-huh. not her natural position. Um, we've seen Courtney maybe Courtney Vanderson maybe play more minutes than uh, than James Wade would like. Uh, getting kind of getting beaten up a little bit. And uh, we referred we referred to it. Uh, we were talking about it before the show. Like we we're talking about how great Jordan Canada is on Seattle. Jerry uh, Faulkner. I think a lot of people don't really uh, people who just started watching the team don't really realize how explosive and how exciting Jamira Faulkner is. She provides that that spark off the bench, um, that dribble penetration, ball pressure, really electrifying point. Oh, Eric, I think it just... Eric? Yeah? Oh, that just broke up there for a sec. What was that last part you just said? Uh, I basically talked about uh, Jamira Faulkner is, is, is a really electrifying point. I'm the Canada type Defense. Yeah, no, I mean, and I agree with that, and I think Kalia Copper as well. Like you, like with all these injuries that have been out, she's also shown that side of her that she's been very explosive. I mean, you saw last, or maybe it was all these games blend together, but like they, they like they need someone who can get to the line, and she's kind of provided that yeah. a little bit in the last couple of games, and she seems more confident in that three point shot as well. At the same time, I think that Jamira Faulkner also kind of fits this offense a little bit better, like the offensive mold a little bit better than what Kalia Copper brings. And even Chloe Jackson, like Chloe Jackson, like you were talking about in the second episode of this show, that she looked great in the preseason. But do we really need another point guard that can't shoot threes and, um, you know, doesn't really I mean, she turns the ball over a lot. I mean, I don't know. Like, we don't need another type of player. I do agree with you. I think Jamira Faulkner is actually going to be a huge piece moving forward. And Katie Lou Samuelson, I mean, like, she looked... I mean, like, there was growing pains at the beginning, and obviously, because she's a rookie, that that's going to happen. But, I mean, she looked... She started to, like, seem like she was kind of pulling it together, at least defensively, when she was out there. Um, And, I mean... I don't know, she was staying in front of Elena Deladon and Natasha Howard, and unfortunately, she took that charge to fracture her wrist... I, I kind of wonder how that's going to impact her offensive ability moving forward. Like you said, like three weeks for a fractured wrist. I mean, I don't know if that I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to go into like technical terms here. But if it's a cyst, maybe she just needed that to be drained because that's still like she fractured it. Maybe that's just like draining fluid from her wrist. And maybe that's just um, maybe that is just a three to four week period where she can like um, like where she's at. Maybe she'll be coming back soon. But we don't. I didn't really see that much about like the degree of which, like the degree of the fracture, and she's someone that I think they at least Wade going into the season thought he could rely on a little bit. I do think that like I was just gonna play devil's advocate and saying that it's probably not gonna impact this team as much, but like realistically, that's kind of where the, I mean this team is suffering right now. Like I went to the game against Seattle, and I I think it was Seattle, yeah, and. The sky were really just taking it to the like Seattle. And Seattle just took out all their. Um, oh no! It was no. It was Connecticut. The Connecticut took out all their starters heading into the fourth quarter, and the sky had to play Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley yeah. a lot 
because they don't really like they couldn't afford to take those players out because of how limited this roster is in terms of injuries. It's going to make all the difference moving forward, especially because I think we saw a lot of fatigue during the road trip, like this past road trip. And it's going to be tough to bounce back from that if they aren't able to get these players back soon. And I really think they need to like in, in terms of writing the ship here, they're going to need those players back. Have you heard anything about a Nador coming back? Because I also think they need some power down low. Uh, I have not. Uh, I've been a bad fan. I have not been keeping up with international basketball. Um, <laughs> I know that tournament is kind of uh, is kind of maybe winding down a little bit because, like for example, Alex Bentley just got back to the Atlanta Dream, so maybe we can expect her back soon. I don't know. The problem with uh, players who have so many international commitments is you don't know how that's really going to affect their WNBA schedule. Like, and Dora in particular, she's, uh, if you look at how many games she's played over the years, like, it's been very inconsistent. So, fingers crossed that she'll be able to come back and really contribute. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, in some way or another, though, the Sky are going to need to fix this thing, and they have two games coming up that the Sky should, I think they should take care of if they think that they're a legit team, and I think they are. I think we are going to see them make it to the playoffs this year, just we don't know where it's going to like where they're going to land. So we are going to just go through what we want to see from the sky this week as they try to figure this thing out. So Eric, what is the first thing you want to see from the sky as they try to just push through this rough stretch? Well, uh, first thing I think uh, that really sticks out is they have to get Diamond to Shield going. Mm-hmm. Uh, her last eight games, going back to uh, like the last time I think she played really, really well was that win against Phoenix at home. Uh, ever since then, she's been shooting uh, 31.9% from the floor. Uh, we both know she can do better. Uh, we expect better from her. And if this is to be the breakout season for Diamond, the all-star campaign that we were kind of expecting from her, she's got to she's got to be more efficient. All right, simple as that. Um, number two thing, thing I have is uh, assist-to-turnover ratio has not been good. Uh, over the last four games, they've averaged 18 and a half assists per game to 17 turnovers per game, so not great. Uh, I think we're I think we're kind of used to this team like not being very turnover conscientious, but <laughs> it's been masked by the fact that they've been able to rack up the assists. Uh, you know, Slutty had like last game, but it's not the ball isn't the ball doesn't really seem to be moving like the way it should be, like end to end. Uh, and then the third thing is get to the free throw line. Um, I actually recently just published an article for Swish Appeal. They're not calling as many shooting fouls this year. Uh, free throw rate has been down for the past couple seasons, actually. Uh, Sky have only been attempting about 12 attempts per game in the free throw line over the last four games. Uh, so whether or not you know you can coax the officials into calling some more fouls, uh, free points, you know, and it's it, it, it's a it's a facet of the game where good teams are consistently winning. So either you're uh, getting the free throw line more, or you're following the opposing team less. You know, that's winning the battle at the free throw line is, I think, something that's going to be really key for this team moving forward. So we actually have pretty similar things that we want to see from the sky moving forward. And I'm just going to go a little bit, like, just playing off your Diamond to Shields take. I think the one thing that I want to see from Diamond is just her learning to pick her spots at the end of games. Because like, we do expect her to be that superstar. And she said that she wanted to make a run at MVP at the beginning of the year, whether that was a lighthearted comment or not. I do think that she does have that confidence in her somewhere. And 
I'm sorry, but like Courtney is just not the closer for this team. Like, and Ali is an off dribble threat, but I just don't like, she's not the closer either. And she's like someone that really can't create her own shot. And the only one on this play, like on this team that can create their own shot is diamond to shields really. And I mean, this team has been so successful with team basketball and team basketball is something that is needed. Like they just needed to be emphasized, like going into the season for the sky because they just didn't really play together last year in the way that they should, or like at least they were capable of. And we're seeing that this year, but we saw it yesterday against the aces that when you play a star studded team, that when the game is close, you need to be able to rely on a star to get you buckets down the stretch the Sky were outscored 18-10 to 10 in the last quarter. They missed their last 10 shots. Like, they need someone to step it up when everything is going wrong. And Diamond needs to be that player, you know? Like, she needs... I think every successful team has that player that when things are going wrong, that they just, like, they say to the team, you know what? I got this one. I need to take over right now. And if we're going to claw back into this one, I'm going to score, like, eight straight buckets, you know? Or, or like, score eight straight points. It just has to be her, and she's the, I don't know, like, she's only a second-year player, but if the Sky want to make the playoffs and be, a, like, a contending team, I think that, I don't know, they, I don't know. I just think they need her to be the closer, and she needs to, like, kind of adopt that veteran's mindset of, like, when to choose her shots, because it just seems like, at times, like, she'll, she'll have a burst, but then, like, she doesn't, like, reach that like maximum offensive output that we kind of expected her to be. I mean, she scored like 27 points per game the last three games of the season last year. And whether that's just garbage time or not, it's still kind of significant of like what we can see from her moving forward. And I don't know, is it too much to ask from diamond to be that closer for this team right away? No, it's not. Uh, you Diamond is a, is a very confident player as you, as you were alluding to. Um, she, it's not too much to expect from her because, look, no one in this league can stay in front of her off the dribble. She's so explosive and she's so talented at, at you know, getting the rim and, and drawing those fouls and finishing through contact that, you know, it, I think it's for her, it's just a matter of, look, we need you getting to the rim. You know, these, uh, these, these pull-up, uh, these pull-up mid-range jumpers are, are, are fine and good, but play inside out. You know, see if you can get to the rim first because no one's stopping you. And it may be if, you know, if she's, she, I think she's the type of player who she's got the passing ability to, if she, if she gets a chance to show it. So if, if you get Diamond to Shields going to the rim, uh, that'll open up some things for some other players as well. Maybe an open Alley Quigley jumper or, or an open Courtney Vandersloot jumper. So I, I think as far as, you know, Diamond really establishing herself as a go-to player, there needs to be a, a take charge mentality. Not just a well. I haven't gotten mine yet. You know, I'm going to shoot a couple of jumpers. You know, it's got to be pure attack mode, 100 percent of the time. Exactly. And now I'm not sure like how realistic it is to like just have Diamond, you know, be at 100 percent with her motor like all the time. But I don't. I mean, I think that's what separates some like superstars from like really really good offensive stars. Like you see a lot of like even Elena Deladon. I felt like in that last Mystics game against the Sky, she wasn't like in the in like the eight minute to five minute range she just didn't really push herself too much until those last couple minutes where she's like okay i'm gonna deliver the dagger here and i'm just going to do what i do best and that's just attack the rim 
um, you know, work like kind of like inside out a little bit. She would work it like worked her way in the post and, you know, and she's a lethal shooter too. So like, and obviously Diamond's not like the greatest shooter yet. I mean, she didn't go overseas to play European basketball or play basketball in Asia or anything like that. She spent the entire off season just learning to shoot or not learning to shoot, but like just working on her shot. You'd kind of hope that the numbers would kind of translate into the game a little bit here. And we haven't seen that yet. And that kind of worries me just for this team moving forward because just against the Aces and the Storm especially, this guy, after playing, again, they play great team basketball at times despite the turnovers. But, you know, they kind of, it seemed like they were kind of looking around seeing like, okay, who's going to step up here? And Courtney's shown it. I mean, she did have a few moments at the beginning of the season where she carried this team down the stretch in terms of scoring a little bit, or at least she came up with clutch buckets. Maybe that's more fair to say. Yeah. Diamond needs to be the person to step it up here. And it worries me that maybe, I mean, again, she's only a, she's a sophomore. So maybe we're not going to see that from her this season, but she has all the, like, she just has like the genetic makeup of a scorer to really put it together. And I just wonder if maybe it's something that James Wade can like get out of her, but um, yeah, sorry. I that, that first one took so long, but, <laughs> but the second thing that I want to see, for, Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? I was going to say it's all good. So, the second thing that I want to see from this guy going into this week. So, I love Jantel Lavender. I love Stephanie Dolson. And we talked before they picked up, like in our last talk, we we talked, um, you know, like our discussion happened before that Jantel Lavender acquisition. And she's been amazing for this team so far. Like just the way that Stephanie and Jantel are able to spread the four with their mid-range games... I mean, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's indispensable, but like on Stephanie's end, at least it's indispensable. And she's been fantastic also from beyond the arc this season. But the defense, oh my God, down low, it's just simply not good enough. And I think we need, and this is the takeaway that I want, that I hope that this guy really, um, I hope that they use moving forward. I just hope that we see more minutes from Cheyenne. I mean, she's averaging 20 a game. And I just think that number needs to be higher and you don't want to run her into the ground. And like the image of her icing her knee and adjusting her ice pack like during the post game uh, press conference against Seattle is just in my mind. Cause she just kept looking down at her knee. I'm like, uh Oh, is something happening there? Um, Cause she was practicing six hours a day when she was in South Korea. You know, that's just, if you play that much basketball, I mean, you're eventually going to break down a little bit, um, but you don't want to run her in the ground, but this team is allowing the most points in the paint out of any team in the league they're averaging or they're allowing 38.5 points in the paint per game i mean i think you have to kind of look to these front court players and see like you know just kind of expect them to step it up a little bit more because stephanie is also only averaging 0.6 blocks per game and and i hate to say it but just because of her defensive ability is like it's such a huge problem for this team since they really can't take her out due to what she does on the offensive end for them. But Jantel is also just averaging like 0.7 blocks per game as well. Cheyenne is the only one on this team right now that can really take away those points. I mean, she's aver- she's also averaging 1.5 blocks per game. And there are other ways of fixing front court, like a front court defense other than inserting someone else into these starting lineups. But I think this guy need to put Cheyenne against the first unit instead of running her out against the second unit where, again, she is dominating, but... 
the defensive numbers have to scare you if you're the sky a little bit. But I mean, do you think Cheyenne should be getting more minutes in this uh, like this season? Yes, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and that was one of the things I was gonna I was gonna bring up if you didn't. Uh, so we're on the same page here. Uh, Cheyenne, see, here's the problem with uh, with you know front court defense. We kind of expected that to be a problem heading into the season. Yeah. So, uh, and it's just a matter of well, they didn't really address it during the draft, so it's got to come from the, the improvement has to come from within, right? Well, if you look at this roster, there aren't any real shot blocking threats. Uh, like maybe Cheyenne a little bit, but as far as paint defense goes, if you aren't blocking shots you have to at least play good positional defense. Like, you have to be able to contain dribble penetration. You have to be able to defend the pick and roll, right? So, I don't know if you remember the game against Washington uh, last week. Uh, they were allowing so many open layups mm-hmm. to pick and roll because people weren't in position to, to help out. That had to change. If you don't block shots, I don't care. Like, that's not something, like, some people, like, not everybody can be Brittany Griner. Right, that's that's not a realistic thing to expect from this team, but you have to be able to move your feet and communicate defensively. Um, so if Cheyenne is that, get a shot, absolutely. She's on track. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she's like an all star this season. And I'm not just saying that as a homer. I'm not just saying that as a, as a fan. I truly think she's played well enough to be considered an all star, if not uh, another you know six woman of the year most interesting player uh, candidate as well. So, and she's earned it, you know? I mean, like, she's she's displayed constant improvement over the past three seasons. She has this opportunity. Forget it. No, I agree. And I was actually talking about this with someone I had on last week, Chris Kwasinski. He was also saying that, like, maybe that she's more of a six-woman of the year candidate than an all-star. But you can really make the case, and if we just not boiling it down to just traditional, you know, box score stats, which they're not, like, you know... Her box score doesn't really pop out to you as much. Like I think, she's, I think she's still averaging under ten points a game. But like, what the impact that she has on this team when she's out there? I mean, it's undeniable, and it's something that, in terms of the eye test especially, she's incredible, and she adds a different dynamic to this team. That and she's able to like really take out other centers in a way that, and I, I really hate to say it because I think Stephanie again, like what she's done offensively this season, also arguably could get her to the All Star game. Just that type of skill set is something that you're, we're going to see in the future in the WNBA, especially. That's going to be a common trend of a stretch center. But defensively, it just seems like she just puts her arms up and doesn't really like against centers like when they're backing her down. She just puts her arms up and doesn't really like try to alter shots in the way that Cheyenne does and. I don't know what you can do because there's like Jantel and Stephanie together have also had some great games together where like they can rebound the ball. And I mean, Jantel had like a 13 rebound game earlier this season too. So it's just like the abilities there. It's just the consistency. And that's the biggest thing with this team. It's always about consistency and not the talent necessarily. I mean, again, when it comes to scoring, I think they, they're going to need another option at some point, but I don't know. I mean, I the the defense in the last few games has just been atrocious, and it just reminds you of last season a little bit. Um, and I, maybe that's not fair because they really are. They do have that same roster, but they have improved defensively, and like especially in the during the win streak, they they just looked like a different team than last year. It made I don't know if you were hopeful, but I was kind of hopeful that they can kind of 
piece this thing together like and improve not just like play at the level that they were playing during that stretch but also like continue to improve because i just don't think this team has reached its ceiling and and that's why like this four game stretch is just it hurts even more because they really seemed like they were going to reach um an even higher gear that they were that they haven't really turned to yet but i'm gonna say this one last thing for the things that we hope to see from the sky going into this week and I've, I think I've said it in the last two podcasts, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I want to see less turnovers from this team. And it's, look, again, I say it every time, and I'm but I'm going to continue to say it until the sky stop turning the ball over as much. Only one team since 2003 has won the WNBA championship averaging over 16 turnovers per game. And no team since 2003 has won the WNBA championship being in the, bottom 10 in in turnovers per game and the team they just played like in the aces they're averaging over 16 16 a game but they can afford to because they have three players who can take over at any point and you can even argue they have like five players that can and they also have two of the six 20 point per game scorers from last season they actually the aces might actually be the first team since the shock in 2003 to be in the bottom two in, in turnovers per game still win the finals but the sky don't have the talent that Las Vegas does. They just simply don't. And I don't know. I mean, it's I'm done talking about this stat because it just frust- frustrates me anytime I watch the sky. But it's the sky's biggest proclivity. It is it, once they stop turning the ball over, and they had like three games where I mean, they only turned the ball over like I think they had like they had ten t- turnovers in back to back games, and then one eleven turnover game they can survive doing that because the ball movement they have but they need to stop turning the ball over at the rate that especially against the storm and you know you can point to jordan canada who's just i mean she just kills this guy on the perimeter courtney vandersloot also like seems to have a tough time whenever she faces canada but they just have to stop you can only make so many excuses if you're going to be a playoff team and they have to stop turning the ball over i mean is it a simple fix? Is just saying like stop turning the ball over. Like, what can this team do? Because anytime I go to postseason, like a post game press conference, everyone asks like, what can you do to stop turning the ball over? And Wade just looks down at his hands and it's just like, we just got to stop turning the ball over. I mean, like, what what can this team do? Because I don't really. I mean, you've you've been watching this team for a while. I've been watching them the last two and a half seasons. I don't really know what like what this team can do because. I've, I just you don't see a lot of adjustments in this part of their game. Well, uh, you know, when you ask that question, how do you stop turning the ball over? Uh, there's another team that has been turning the ball over a lot, um, and that is the Minnesota Lynx mm-hmm. this year. They're, they're actually last in the league in turnover rate, uh, which is not, I mean, it's not surprising. They have, they have like nine out of their 12 new players are new, but <laughs> they asked, uh, someone asked, I forget who it was, but someone asked Cheryl Reeve, uh, how you tell your players to stop turning the ball over. And her answer was something along the lines of, uh, just ask them to stop doing it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not, it's something where it's like, well, well let me put it this way. First of all, if it's, it's part of it is, is schematic, I think. Like, if, if you're a team that's going to play fast, you're going to turn the ball over more. Yeah. That's, that's, just, that's just the way it is. Um, but, uh, gosh, you know, I, I wish I had, how do this guy stop, stop turning the ball over? Wade has said we've got to value possessions more. You know, we've got to execute the game plan better. 
Uh, maybe that's just coach speak. It uh, is. I don't know. <laughs> because the thing is, though, the last couple of games, they have also, in terms of pace, like that stat, like they have also gone down like tremendously compared to where they were at the beginning of the season. Like they're averaging like six less possessions than they were at the beginning of the season. And like over the last four games, I don't really know. Like, I don't, there's just been a lot more boneheaded plays, especially in the clutch moments. Like, I think that like one thing, one of the reasons why Diamond doesn't drive as much as you'd like her to, like, and we were talking about that at the top, which is why I bring it up. It's because like her, she's not really like a drive and kick type of player. And she, cause she turns the ball over a decent amount. That's something she's had a problem with since she was back at Tennessee, like during her college days. Like I don't really see her improving too, too much as a passer. Like she has those flashy passes. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love when like some of those behind like behind the back passes that we saw a lot more last season. I think that maybe Wade has told like told her to tone that one down a little bit, but I don't know what it is. I just they have to figure it out. It's like you have to. There's just a certain amount of accountability that I think that they have with the, like within the team, like Courtney Vandersloot and Cheyenne Parker. Like they're the the two players that you really um, like. They're the leaders of the team, just according to the, those players. Like um, you know. You just have to see something change here if they want to. I mean, it's literally what it comes down to. Like, you can't just give up. You can't give up the most points in the paint per game and also turn the ball over at the third highest clip. One of those two has to give. And they've proven that they can win when one happens and the other one doesn't. But when they both happen, like they have the last couple of games, especially. I mean, we're just watching the 2018 Sky team, you know? Yeah. Um uh, I'm sorry if I sound so bitter, but it's tough watching this team sometimes. So let's move forward here. So like uh, for this show, we have a weekly segment where, you know, me and the person who I have on, we give one relevant stat going into each week and for each matchup, I should say that this guy have before the next show. So with only two of them, this should be pretty straightforward. The sky take on the wings next Sunday at home before the links come into town next Wednesday. Eric, what is your relevant stat that the Sky, that Sky fans need to know heading into the matchup against the Wings? Dallas, they're a team that's, that under Brian Agler, they've slowed it down considerably compared to years past. Before, they liked to really push the pace. Now, they're one of the lowest-ranked pace teams in the league. So, I think if the Sky can uh, force Dallas into some misses, uh, get out and run a little bit, kind of get them out of their comfort zone, that will be critical. Because... Uh, slow-paced game, and this guy's going to have trouble manufacturing easy looks, I feel like. So controlling the tempo of the game will be key. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, um, I mean, this guy like to push the pace as well. I mean, they, they, they just like to push the pace. And, I mean, you've seen teams struggle to adjust to that sometimes as well. So, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's something we should be looking for. And maybe that actually is something that could stunt this guy, honestly, just not being able to control the pace necessarily. My relevant stat going into this one is that the Wings are averaging 17 free throw attempts per game in the last five games compared to the Sky, and you alluded to this earlier as well, but the Sky are last in the league over that span with 12 free throws per game, or free throw yeah. attempts, I should say. Yeah. And the Sky, at all, like over that span as well, are also averaging 17 personal fouls per game, which is the third worst in the league during that span. To compensate for not having a lot of front court defensive power, sometimes it feels like this guy fouled down low quite a bit. And I mean, they just can't give the wings a chance by just letting them have free points at the line. And I think you actually said that 
at the top as well. It's just like you can't give away free points. Dallas is just like one of the worst teams in the league in terms of offensive rating. And I mean, but the way they're going to be able to hang around is if this guy just hack them and let them back into it. I mean, we've seen that happen too as well when they just feel overpowered and they just start really just fouling everyone. Um, so that's something to look forward to as well. Maybe that's something that changes because of the different paces that these teams play at. Who do you think pulls out the W in this one? Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that this is the part where the technical difficulties really kick in and where they are at their worst. And I'm just going to tell you what Eric said because it was kind of unclear. Um, I asked him what the outcome of this game is going to be or like what he thinks the outcome of this game is going to be. And he said that he's going to be a homer and that he's going to pick this guy in this matchup. It was kind of unclear of like what else he was saying during that. So yeah, I then responded with dot, 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 drum roll, please. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, this is one of those games they just kind of have to win. And Dallas has just been struggling so much. And I mean, if they can't beat this team, I don't know. I just... It just feels like this is a bounce back game for this team. And I'm just kind of confident in this team being able to bounce back. And maybe I also sound like a homer when I say that, but I don't know. I mean, Dallas is just not a good offensive team. They're second second to last in the WNBA in points per game. Their offensive rating has been atrocious this entire season. They're in a transition mode. And I mean, it's one of the reasons why Brian Angular wanted to prove himself, I feel like, this season after going from an established team in LA to a team that just lost Liz Cambage and is really trying to figure out its identity still and yeah I mean I, this is the type of team that this guy can beat I there shouldn't be any roadblocks here in terms of this guy really being able to pull this one out I know the free th- I said that stuff about the free throw attempts at the beginning of this segment but like is that enough to really thwart what this guy have going especially at home Probably not. I'm fairly confident that this guy are going to be able to pull this one out. So moving to the matchup against the Lynx. So, yeah, what is your relevant stat heading into that game? Uh, the relevant stat for this game is uh, turnovers. Uh, like I said earlier, the Minnesota Lynx turned the ball over a ton. This guy turned the ball over a little less. Uh, they're, uh, the Lynx are 12th in the league in turnover rate. This guy are 10th. So um, whoever turns the ball over less, uh, I think it's going to have a good chance in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a rough game in that sense. Like, they, I mean, these are the teams that turn the ball over the most in the league. And, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say about this one, in, like, in terms of, like, how it's going to look. I can't, I don't know if it's going to be a high-scoring game because of, like, transition points or it's just going to be, like, a 60 to 55 game just because of how many turnovers that no one's going to be able to score. But yeah, no, I agree that turnovers are going to be they're, they're going to be really fun for this game, or it's just going to be nauseating just seeing these offenses turn the ball over so much. My relevant stat heading into this one is that Odyssey Sims is averaging 21 points per game in the last four games and is averaging 18 field goal attempts during that span. The Sky have done a pretty good job stopping stars from going off when they go up against them, but in order to stop someone like Sims, I think we're going to. S- like I think we need to see Gabby Williams just be enlisted as that like defensive mercenary. Maybe that's the term I want to use, like just to stop someone like Sims. And if they let Sims take over, though, 
it's going to be interesting to see how they like how they're going to be able to pull this one off. I actually think this is going to be closer than people expect. Um, and I mean, the links have looked a little bit better as of late. I mean, do you like, who do you think wins this one? Um, you know, I, I'd be, I'd be kind of surprised if this guy went actually. I don't yeah. think they have an answer for Sylvia Fowles currently. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been playing really well. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, like, like Minnesota has been very, very up and down this season. They started great. Uh, then their their turnovers kind of caught up to them, and now they're playing a little better. They just blew out Atlanta, so I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty even matchup at this point in time. Um, I'm still going with Minnesota, but I think it'll be close. I'm actually going to go with the sky on this one. And look, when it comes to these evenly matched teams, and just trying to like when it really just comes to like one of those 50-50 matchups where you really have no idea where it's going to go. And obviously we don't know anything going into these matchups really, but in terms of the even like the matchups that are even, I tend to go with the team at home and that I like while I don't know, again while these teams are like one of the worst in turning the ball over, I do think the sky are going to be able to pull it together a little bit more just because they really do work off the energy at Wintrust and it's just something that I don't know. I just don't think that this the links are consistent enough to really be able to match that energy. So I do think that Sylvia Fowles, like you said, is going to be someone that could wear them down in the paint. And we just saw this with Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson, how they were able to collectively take over. I don't I mean Sylvia doesn't really have that advantage of having someone like Cambage or an Asia Wilson that can really compliment her. But Sylvia Fowles, I mean, that's the type of player that destroys the sky and that brutal force i mean honestly I mean, she's incredible and what we might actually get to her in, in a sec here but yeah no i think that she's going to um i do think if the sky are able to like contain her and again they really haven't allowed like the star what like when they win i should say they don't allow the stars to go off like you know john john quill jones didn't really do much against the sky because they were able to game plan for her and like throw a lot of different looks at her so that's going to be interesting to me. That's why I think that, uh, like, if Gabby is able to, maybe she plays like twenty to twenty-three minutes a game, or like twenty or twenty-three minutes in this game, and is able to just take out Odyssey. But it's going to be an interesting one. I do think it's going to be like, it's going to be a single-digit win. Or like, uh, I mean, it's not going to be. They're not going to win by more than like double digits here. So, um, Eric. I've been holding off on this next segment for a while because you are the only Sky fan I know that's been following the team as long as you have. And as the Sky are scuffling here a little bit, I think we should continue down destitute drive here a little bit and just talk about some of the unfortunate trades this guy made over the past few years. So I'm sure you are just glad that you're getting roped into this one. I guess for the, I mean, I don't really have a structure for this, but if you could have like, if we could just go down the line of all the trades this guy have made, like that have just really hurt them. Christy Tolliver, she was traded for a second round pick in 2009, and now she's blossomed and is a really solid player for the Mystics. I mean, we you probably know the rest with Candice Dupree. You know, she goes to three straight All Stars, like All Star games, and then she's shipped off for Shanika Christian, I think her name was, who kind of fell apart. I mean, like she was averaging. A double, she averaged double di- like a double digits in points per game for four straight seasons and then went to the sky, averaged 8.5 and fell off. That's just one example. So 
I won't torture you with the rest with Elena Deladon and Sylvia Foles. But if you could have one trade back that would help this team right now, what would that trade be? Um, well, the, the problem with those trades were uh, there was a lot going on behind the scenes that kind of forced it. Um, for example, I don't think it'd be it'd be fair to say, well, I'd take Elena Deladon back because she didn't want to be here. Um, same goes for Sylvia Falls. Same goes for Candace Dupree. So take let's take that all out of consideration. Just saying, like in terms of skill set, because I think that it's easy just to say Elena Deladon because of her scoring ability, and that's kind of like the Elena Deladon type player is kind of what we want out of Diamond to Shields. But if you look at the rest of the roster, I think it 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 could be different. But like so, like if you had to choose between like Candice Dupree, Elena Deladon, Sylvia Foles, Christy Tolliver, maybe there's someone else that you're thinking of, like that I'm not listing. I mean, is there someone that you'd think that like would just dramatically improve this team if you were just to throw them into this roster? Oh, well, if we're playing on paper, then, then it's Elena Deladon. I mean, she's she's still a top-five player in the league. She's you, 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 you talked about it, the game against Washington. Like, she wasn't even really involved in the game, really, until the second half. And then whenever this guy got close, it was just, oh, let me hit this impossible shot. Okay, dagger. Like, it wasn't even... It looked like she wasn't even trying, honestly. Uh, but she's, she's MVP candidate again. Uh, it's, it's probably her. I mean, they struggled so much, even in 2014 when they went 15 and 19 and somehow made it to the WNBA Finals. Um, like, they struggled. And I could just feel like that's not the same type of team, obviously. But wouldn't you feel like Sylvia Fault, like Sylvia Fowles, like, wouldn't she just be like the perfect fit? Like, you, you could move Chantel, or you can move Stephanie to the four, honestly. Maybe she's not athletic enough to like de- play there defensively. But like, just adding that, like, that front court presence, it just it's nagging at me how much this team needs that right now. And let's not forget that Sylvia Fowles last year set the WNBA record for defensive rebounds per game and in like in a single season and also had the most total rebounds in a single season ever. So like I kind of feel like she would be the better fit over Elena Deldon, despite like you said, Elena Deldon being one of the best players in the WNBA I thought she was going to win MVP this year maybe she could end up doing that but and I, actually this was something I was going to ask you on the second episode of this do you think that if Tierra McCowan if she was available at that fourth spot let's just say like somebody else was taking the third spot in the draft of this past year do you think this guy go ahead and select her or do you think they still go with Katie Lou Samuelson just because of how much James Wade was raving about her and how he said that he was just hawking her since like you know, going back to his Minnesota days, like, do you think that the sky would have picked Tierra McCowan over Katie Lou Samuelson just because of the front court need? Like, what would you have done? Yes, I, I do think they would have done that. And that's, you know, part of the reason why James Wade, why I think the, the front office really loved Katie Lou Samuelson, is that they kind of assumed Tierra McCowan would be gone by then. Uh, if she wasn't, if something happened and she was still available number four, I don't, I don't see how they don't do that. You know, I mean, Part of the reason why they traded for Jantel Lavender, why they traded Elena Coates, was because they didn't really have that that anchor in the middle. Um, and, you know, I mean, you, I guess you could argue that they still don't, but, I mean, McCollin would give that shot blocking, she would give that rebounding, and she would give that finisher at the rim. So, yes, that's what I would have done. Yeah, I mean, that, and again, I know this is kind of a silly segment in terms of, like, trade, like, going back on trades and everything, but it just, in terms of, like, what this team values, I think that 
it's just interesting to see like how much like James Wade really did value like the Elena Deladon type in this like in this past draft compared like you know to someone like McCowan maybe but I don't I don't know just because like I I don't know if James Wade would have passed on Katie Lou Samuelson necessarily just the way he talked about her it wasn't like typical coach talk like he was like just like talking about how. He was just been looking at her for so long and just being like thinking about all the different ways that he could utilize that like her type of skill set. Um, I don't know. I just kind of wish they had addressed that a little bit, but maybe there wasn't someone else in the draft that they could have really that would have shored up the front court. But yeah, I was talking with someone about who they would pick in uh, a trade, um, like you know, doing that just the same question that I posed to you, and they were saying Sylvia Fowles for that reason, just because. It just, I don't know. I think it would have been interesting to see how she would have fit in with this team and how, you know, they run up the floor. Um, and also Christy Tolliver. I mean, I think that she is a low key or like she's a dark horse candidate for this position as well, just because it'd been interesting to see her and Courtney switching off between yeah. uh, the one. But, and like, I get this is kind of, it was kind of a weird segment or something like a weird topic to bring up, but there's just some of like, there's holes in this team that like really could have been patched up if they had just kind of figured out how to keep stars in Chicago. And so maybe you couldn't have kept, and I know this is a problem with the W at large, but I mean, that's an all-star team that I had listed at the top of this. So just again, Christy Tolliver, Candice Dupree, Sylvia Fowles, Elena Deladon. I mean, those are four star. I mean, those are four all-stars right there. I actually, the one that really bothers me the most, and I mean, Elena Deladon and Sylvia Fowles, you can, you can't say enough about them and what the, their type of play and the high level play that they bring every time out. But Candice Dupree is someone that you just, that's the kind of player that I kind of wish this guy had that just someone else they can really rely on offensively. And as diamond kind of develops into that superstar, it would have been great for just have one more veteran that they could rely on in terms of being a scoring outlet. Again, I think Candice Dupree hasn't averaged less than like 12 points per game in the WNBA in any season that she's played in here. But actually that I guess that does lead me to my next question that I just wanted to discuss with you. Like, why do you think there's just been this revolving door of stars going in and out of Chicago? I mean, can we chalk it up to like organizational dysfunction? Cause I don't even know if I want to even call it that. Mm, that's tough. Uh, you know, I think the answer to that, you look at the landscape of the WNBA, um, and it's a landscape where players have leverage. You know, um, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting dynamic because we talk about, oh, the players aren't paid enough, uh, you know, the coaches are paid more than the players or what have you, and that's true, but it's still the players who determine most of, like, for example, Elena Deladon says, okay, I don't want to play here anymore. I want to play in Washington. And all of a sudden, this guy, they can't do anything. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's over. They're, 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 she has all the leverage. So, um, and it's like, and it's not even really the star players. You know, you've got uh, Imani McGee Stafford. She demands a trade uh, in, in 2017. They get back, you know, the, the draft picks. But um, it, it's players realize, I think, that with the current structure of this, uh, of the collective, bar- collective bargaining agreement, they are able to kind of, um, I don't want to say determine where they play, because it's certainly not a free agency sort of thing, but it's like they have, they do have control and they do have influence and they are kind of with the, with the way uh, that the league is going, they're kind of almost uh, encouraged to take advantage of that. So, you know, organizational dysfunction, I mean, 
probably. You know, that's <laughs> there, 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 there's plenty of stuff out there. There's there's a there's a pretty deep rabbit hole uh, to dig down if you really want to. So and let's talk about the CBA for a second then, because it's set okay. to expire soon. Do you think? I mean, I think a lot of people talk about the players wanting something changed in the CBA. Just, I mean, or a lot of things. There's, we, there's a litany of things that we could talk about with that. But do you think the owners are going to like try to, maybe? I mean, we talk about the player empowerment movement. I mean, do you think that's something the owners are going to want to see less of? Like, and maybe the success of the league is dependent on some of these stars staying and developing a relationship with the team that drafts them or picks them up a year, like in free agency. Like, what do you, um, I don't know. Like, do you think that it's something that's going to be addressed once those talks intensify? You know, that's a good question. I think for, I think right now the, uh, the, the, the talks would be centered around, uh, pay, obviously, you know, like a percentage of revenue travel and what, uh, and you know, why, why these players keep needing to play overseas? You know, how, how, how do we, how do I put this? How do we get our players from risking their bodies playing year-round when they don't have to, basically? Um, so, I don't know, maybe ownership, maybe owners are going to try to say, hey, no, we want we want control of our players. But that's, that's out. the players' union isn't going to go for that, I don't think. Uh, that's not something that I think is at the forefront of the discussions right now. Right now, I think it's all about revenue percentage and travel and how to keep their bodies healthy. That's just what I think. I mean, like, I don't really have a, I don't have a bug in the, I don't, I don't really have a, a source in the, on the inside telling me that. I'm just, it's just a guess. But yeah, that's the discussions are about right now. It definitely is. I'm just wondering if the owners, like, I don't really know how much they're really investing in their own teams, honestly, in terms of. Like in gen- just in terms of how much they care, honestly. Like, I wonder if, if that is something that's even going to come up like on their side. Like, I wonder how much of the CBA discussions are really just going to be the owners just nodding their heads and just being like, mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. And like, while the players kind of just plead their case for, you know, what they want changed, I just wonder like how much these owners care sometimes just because the, the, the product is damaged when the owners aren't fully invested. And we've, we see that just all across the board, whether that's college basketball with like athletic directors, not like caring enough about certain sports or, I mean, even if you look at the, the NBA, a lot of talk like as of yesterday, even is just about how terrible the Knicks are because of James Dolan and how much he only cares about like entertainment off, like off the court compared to like, you know, a lot of these other owners that are able to invest and like, they want their teams to succeed I don't know. I mean, I think that is actually an underrated part of this whole thing in terms of just keeping players where they are a little bit longer than, I mean, just like jumping ship is not necessarily like it's well, it's best for your own career. And they obviously, if the te- if those players don't feel valued by their other like their own teams, then of course they're going to want to jump ship. And if the league doesn't care enough, and it doesn't, I mean, um, we we talked about that last time as well about how the league doesn't really care as much about. It's success right now as it currently stands. Hopefully, Catherine Engelbert is someone. Uh, I think she's soon. She's going to be. Her contract starts the WNBA pretty soon, so it's going to be exciting to see what she does. But that's just something that's been on my mind. Just wondering, like, just how are the owners involved with this, and how much do they care about, you know, the teams they own? I do. I don't really don't think that that's something that we talk about enough in this league. But do you have anything else to add before we wrap this thing up? I mean, like. What, have you had any other WNBA thoughts that have just been eating you up at all that you want to just get out there? WNBA thoughts that have been eating me up. Well, uh, that's an interesting way of putting it. I would say 
Mm. Okay, so anybody who follows me on Twitter uh, knows this is a sticking point for me. I need to see better presentation from the league social media. Um, I need to see better professional. I need to see more professionalism. I need to be um, like not so many players misnamed. Detail, and I know we went over this on the last time I was on your show, but it's just something that bears repeating. I mean, the other day when Jewel Lloyd got hurt, for instance, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, they actually she she got hurt uh, going up for a layup. Mm-hmm. They actually posted a highlight on the on this on the WWE Twitter account that oh, Jewel Lloyd with the steal and the score as she tumbles into a heap, grabbing at her ankle at the end of the video. Ugh. I'm just like, really? Like, are you serious? It's just so. I mean, I get okay. So I get it. They're 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 probably just either interns or somebody who doesn't really follow the league. But it's just how low can the bar go? It, it just makes the league look so amateurish. Mm-hmm. It, it gives the player it, it, the players don't deserve this. The fans don't deserve it. Presentation is so much of it, it takes up such a large part of you know making the league look professional. You know, it, the basketball is terrific. The players are terrific. The coaches are terrific. The product is terrific. The presentation, the social media, the league website, it needs to match that energy. Or else it, people aren't going to take it seriously. I, and it's just, it, it's honestly just embarrassing. Eric, we're running a little bit low on time, but you're completely right about this. And it is embarrassing, especially because just of how much fandom takes place on social media especially with the WNBA and Twitter especially I I wish we could go into it right now maybe that's something we could do for next time you're on but um, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up the show um no not really just uh you know Sky fans if you're out there thank you for supporting the team thank you for supporting the ladies Uh, it's been a fun summer so far and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at Winterest Arena yeah, for sure. So, actually, I was going to ask you, too, is um, you have, like, a promotional code, right, that you can... Oh, yeah, for, yeah, I do. Um, do you want to just tell people about that before we wrap this up? Okay, so basically, um, as a season ticket holder, I get a... Uh, every year, there's, like, a promotional code that's given out to each um, each fan. But if, if you go on Twitter, at Nemchaki, it's my pinned tweet, so it's right at the top of the page. If you... Click on that code you can, and buy a ticket. It'll be basically a Ticketmaster link. If you click on that link and buy tickets using that and enter the code MEMBER, in all caps, I believe, uh, then basically you'll get a discount, and I, too, will get a discount for next year's season tickets. So you win, I win, everybody wins, everyone's happy. So if you're coming out to a game, check into that. Yeah, absolutely, and support Eric. Let's have that uh, cost for season tickets go down. Um, <laughs> that would be nice, but... Eric, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, man. I know you're busy, and um, yeah, it was great talking with you and catching up with about you know the sky. So, all right, thank you so much, James. All right, have a good one, man. All right, take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Sky Hook. If you want to contact us, you can always do so at the Sky Hook Mailbag at gmail.com. or you can follow us on Twitter. I'm going to try to be a little bit more active on Twitter for the Sky Hooks. 
account, but you can always find the Skyhook at, at Skyhookin, which is S-K-Y-H-O-O-K-I-N. You can find the podcast version of this show on the Apple Podcast app or Podbean by simply putting in the Skyhook podcast into either of those search engines. Thanks again for joining me. You've been listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. I am your host, James K. and until next time, my friends. 